Stephanie. And I'm Joel. And this is Sunday School Cinema, take two. Yeah, we keep running into to technical difficulties off the bat here, but I think we got it under control right away. <sighs> excellent, excellent. So today, um, and I'm sorry, but you may have to occasionally hear my dog uh, shake in the background because there's no one to take care of him right now except for me. Um, anyway, but uh, today we are talking about the 2006 film Half Nelson, starring Ryan Gosling and not a lot of other people that anyone knows. Um, it was a... There's a small thing. Mackie's in it. That's he's the other face. Yeah, that's true. Was he a face at the time? I don't know. Anyway, he he's very he's very good in it. I thought he did a great job. But uh, I'm trying to f- if this was before or after the Hurt Locker, which I think was kind of his breakout. I forgot he was in that. <laughs> he was. He was like the second lead. Okay, yeah, that wasn't until 2008. So yeah, this would have been definitely an early thing for him. Yeah, and I think he he does great. Um, but yeah, when we talked about doing this movie last week uh we were both kind of like how is this gonna hold up um and what joel was saying in our take one was that he still isn't quite sure (laughs) yeah no i'm still uh uh i I think there's a lot of stuff about it that works but there's also like a lot of stuff about it that i'm not sure about and i'm curious to hear your thoughts yeah uh i did notice that your letterbox rating was still at four and a half but i wasn't sure if that was just because you hadn't changed it or if you were just really in love with it still no, I hadn't changed it. I moved it down to a four. Um, I still think that it is a really... I mean, Gosling kills. He he kills every time. I, I don't... Yeah, he got his first Oscar nomination for this, and I, I think well-deserved. Agreed. Um, he, no one can... And honestly, I think that this character... Like, you needed someone who had the ridiculous charisma that Gosling has no matter what he's doing and we talked about this some and we watched The Believer and and the like you need someone who has that level of like inherent charisma to not just like just hate this character um and there was at least one scene that I I had completely forgotten happened that I kind of wish they had cut um <laughs> the scene where he showed up at the other teachers apart- I did not remember that either yeah that was because that's what I was going to say is like, you may end up hating him by the end of the movie. And I think that would be a legitimate feeling. Uh, But he is definitely, uh, uh, you know, you're rooting for him at the beginning, at least. He's a complicated character and also not. I mean, like, he thinks he's more complicated than he is. He's like, like, there were times when he would start going on one of his like little rant things to some woman while he was high where I was just like, oh, my God. I did have the thought that like, if you've ever thought that it seemed like fun to get high with Ryan Gosling and hang out, this movie probably uh, disabuses you of that notion because he's the most annoying stone for like high person in the world. Very obnoxious. Um, so <laughs> he literally had a whole rant about how he had he used to be off the rails, but he had cleaned his life up while he was cutting up rails of coke. <laughs> I mean, that was extremely funny and very typical of an addict, unfortunately. But um, but no. So, I mean, the, the base of this story is that uh, Gosling is a is a teacher in this like inner city school. I don't know which city. I don't think it ever says in the movie, but according to Wikipedia, it's it's in Brooklyn. Got it. So in Brooklyn and uh, he's teaching junior high in a school that is overwhelmingly African-American. Um Gosling obviously being not African-American he is teaching uh, 
I think that the core of what he's teaching actually could be helpful. He's also completely refusing to teach the actual curriculum, which it does feel like there might be more consequences for, but then again, maybe not. Hard to say. They're probably hard up for teachers. Um, he's trying to teach this kids this thing he calls di- this dialectics, um, which is a little heady for seventh grade, but like essentially like trying to teach them like how like historical conflict happens. He's a history teacher. He's trying to teach them to like see the world in like terms of these bigger conflicts that are constantly going on. And I don't think that's a bad thing inherently. I also think that when you are crack addict as he currently is um you are probably not going to be doing it as well as you could be and i think we do see his teaching sort of like ebb and flow over the oh, course yeah. of the film i mean anytime he has one of his benders he comes in the next day and basically sleeps at his desk <laughs> but when he when he's on he's really on and the kids are really into it so it's yeah i mean he is a good teacher in that he understands that with teenagers like you have like you have to simply accept that none of them will ever think you're cool and you really just have to lean into that i think that can be even more true in the racial dynamic that like yeah we see that like where we see the kids like talking shit about him outside of class or whatever oh he thinks he's so cool or whatever but he does not to be clear he is leading into this like and it really works in class they really pay attention to him they really he has like well and he you know he treats them like smart people who are capable of learning stuff so that obviously goes a long way Absolutely. And so, and, you know, it's clear that he does really love to do this, but also, like, consistently, like, is feeling this sort of general malaise. The world is on fire. Like, everything is bad. This is, you know, sort of in a post 9 11 era. So, like, there's a lot about Bush and the whole, whole, like, high rant about WMDs and, you know, how they weren't there and all this stuff. So he, like, it's like he does, he does, he likes teaching the kids, I think for a variety of complex reasons, um, some better than others. And he likes being like in this position to some extent, but he also doesn't necessarily think that this is actually going to do any good. Well, that's, I. it doesn't really get into it, but I kind of, you kind of get the sense that he is, maybe he used to think it would do some good, but is he's, he he is a character that is has been like he's been kind of sucked under by the 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 despair of living in the world that he's living in which i feel like is not really a a character type that you get very often at least not as a main character you, you know usually those people are are uh, sort of side characters or they're the villain or whatever uh, so it's interesting in that regard, and I think he plays it really well. I mean, he has a couple of, like, that one scene in particular with him where he goes and confronts Anthony Mackie's character. Cause Incredible. I guess maybe we should do it. So he's he, he is an addict, and one of his students uh, discovers him smoking in the, the the locker room. I'm not real clear on why he decided to do it there instead of at home. Really? It, it's it's because he ran into the girl. He ran into the girl. It was a triggering event for him. Well, no, he, but he was always he was clearly planning on doing it before she showed up because he was like, he was like hanging around waiting for the bathroom to empty. <laughs> that was not my impression. I didn't think that was why he was hanging. He was hanging around because he was the fucking coach. He was waiting for the bathroom to empty to make sure that all of the kids were going home. And then this girl shows up. And then because what we see consistently is we see him. We see him use 
right after he is really triggered. Like, he has no capacity for dealing with any kind of stress from his former life. He will always go use her after. My impression, he was the only teacher around that we saw. I'm sure there must have been someone else there, but I think he, it would have been his job to, like, make sure that everyone was gone and lock up. I guess that's true. I just, right before that, we had a scene of him going to buy to buy drugs and, like, you know, he usually buys coke, but he didn't hardly have any money. So the guy sold him crack and he was just like, it's been, you know, it's just been a really tough week. Like he seemed to have, it seemed like he was just kind of like gritting it out through the game so that he could go to the bathroom and smoke. That was the impression I had, but I don't know, maybe you're, I mean, you're not wrong that maybe he, maybe he had just planned on going home and doing it and just decided he couldn't wait. That was my impression. And I guess we don't know for sure. It's not the kind of movie that like gives you a lot of that. And to be clear, it's not like addicts make the most incredible decisions while they're actively um, pursuing drugs. But yeah, so he's 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 and there's this this incredible and very difficult to watch scene of him in the bathroom. He's in one of the stalls and Shay comes in and he like you see him look so terrified and is like he like pulls his feet up so that no one can see them and he sits there and while she pees next to him which is like a weird a weird moment and then she hears something that when she comes out is like is someone there and she opens the door and he's there and the look on his face is a look that i'm not sure i have seen on ryan gosling's face in any other <laughs> circumstance so he's like so terrified and like so ashamed and like and just like but he's so high because he just <laughs> so like so he and she clearly you know again it's it's relevant that this seventh grader knows exactly what she's seeing immediately I, right we've she has an older brother who is currently in jail for selling drugs like she's she's been around this stuff and and that he he's still he's so high so he sort of like collapses on the floor and like asks her to get him some water but she like wets a paper towel and like gives it to him and then he like he's like please stay please just don't go right now and then he drives her home which is fucking wild <laughs> that was that, that seemed like quite a thing yeah i had the same thought i don't know how long they hung out in that bathroom but yeah but it's a deeply like it's a really hard scene to watch like this girl is like 13 years old the fact that she even understands exactly what is happening is already like and that you know it's clear she we hadn't seen a ton of her interacting with him in the classroom a little bit um she seemed quieter uh but like she knows this guy she likes him she like and like but again this also isn't what it would be to someone who was not like this is her life like this is her neighborhood and her life and her brother's doing time and she's surrounded by people who are either already moving towards you know working for dealers and stuff or like have already like i mean this is this is so much of the world that she lives in um and i think that part of what we see with shay and part of what i do still like about this movie is that it really Shay does a great job incidentally and really doesn't seem to have done much else which is a shame I mean she's done a few things but nothing nothing big oh yeah Sharika Epps is her name yeah um but like this movie like just like flat out refuses to go for like I've never seen a movie about a teacher like this one like there is no like inspirational teacher shit here there's no like if if you were to tell me this is a movie about a white teacher and the like unusual relationship that is not sexual because that would be important to me the unusual relationship that he creates with this that he like has with this black child there are a lot of things I would imagine none of them would have been this <laughs> In fact, there's almost there's a scene that I feel like was almost like sort of an intentional undercutting of like the inspirational teacher moment where he's with with Gosling where he's at a bar and 
doing drugs and had picked up these two girls that were doing drugs with him. And he's clearly like, you know, they're they're doing drugs with him. He's kissing both of them. But then he starts talking about how the kids are what get him through or whatever. And they're both just like, I'm going to go dance. Bye. <laughs> just completely blows it with them. He's honestly the worst when he starts talking in this in this movie when he's high. Because the rest of the time, like, Ryan Gosling could do anything he wanted to do to me at literally any time. Except, apparently, when he is high like this. Like, if he's making out or fucking, that's fine. But I don't want you talking, sir. Please stop talking. So, at any, so we have Anthony Mackie's character is the, the sort of neighborhood dealer who... Uh, who her brother had had worked for and so he starts kind of hanging around and it's you, i guess you kind of get the impression that he's been giving her money to like help keep her family afloat while her brother's in jail her mom works but as a an emt i think but uh her mom works a lot and is rarely around which is another important thing for for shay um and yes i think he's been giving her money and to be clear her brother is doing time for working for him and for not turning him in so i think that there is and i do think i have seen some of this element in a few different movies moonlight had a little bit of this of like this idea of like you know look when we think about like the neighborhood drug dealer there's a lot of things that come to mind especially if we are white and grew up in like but like the reality is that like a lot of times the neighborhood drug dealer he's the one with money and he is a lot of times taking care of people and i think that what we see with frankie is is that well honestly in a weird way i think i saw this in a review on letterbox where they were talking about that like both both frankie and mr dunn i can't remember his first name uh, <laughs> both frankie and mr dunn uh, are sort of like trying to take on this protective older brother role of her. And it's like ridiculous for both of them. And realistically of the two, I would argue that Frankie is doing the better job, even though like he is also like, you know, he's also moving her towards like delivery and stuff like that. But um, like, and so she's sort of has these two adult men who are, looking out for her and i think that one of the things that i find so interesting about the movie which i don't think succeeds on all the levels it tries to i think there are things where it really just sort of like gets muddy in a way i don't fully know what they were going for but like the relationship like shay's experience with these men and seeing her again she's 13 years old barely um she's like she's she's getting that point where she like she has she's fascinated by the fact that mr dunn is like a person and she like like at one point she he he, she asks for a ride home and then she pretends to not have her key and so that he will take and and instead of like taking her to fucking mcdonald's or something he takes her to his house (laughs) back to his apartment yeah that's uh I mean, it really, you never, you really genuinely never get the impression that he has any kind of nefarious intention. Like, I just don't think that occurred to him, but it's still like, come on, man. You can't, you can't take this 13 year old student back to your apartment. And like, and the thing is, like, Frankie is like, what the fuck? Like, this white teacher dude is like, has a really inappropriate relationship with her and probably is worried that it might be or turn sexual, although we never, like, we never, he never says that directly. But, um, but like, and the feel like she's there is a level of like that age and i feel like we talked about this a little bit in another movie but i can't remember what it was of like realizing that you are like gaining some sexual power and like not necessarily like understanding like it's a really dangerous age for for groovers to go after because like they are old enough to understand some of this but they are not 
they're you know obviously they're not old enough to consent to anything like this and and so i think that you do see with her there's a whole scene where she like goes home and like makes herself pretty for the dancer like she is i don't know that it's quite that she has a crush on mr dunn but she's like fascinated with him and he's like paying attention to her and this teacher she's seeing a side of this teacher's life that she's never seen before there's like this thing that bonds and i think that that is all like really smart and well done in a way that i have rarely seen like it's it's such a complicated and she does such a great job with very little she's a very like stoic kid for the most part uh, but she does such a great job and and her and gosling together are really good and complicated as as figures um and it so it, it certainly doesn't like hit any of the marks of like but you know what we are seeing i think is is gosling like sort of spiraling more into his addiction um and having that have more of an impact on his life and because the, when you said the bar scene the th- scene i was thinking of was the scene where he's like high and drunk in a bar and this guy comes up to him and is like you're mr dunn aren't you you were the history teacher like you taught my daughter paula whatever and and he's like paula and he's like she's at she's at georgetown or whatever she's she's a history major and like that's the thing that he should want to hear like that's the that is the teacher and he's so high he can't even comprehend it like he's just like paula and the guy's like all right man have a good night and like it's it's really fucking sad because it's like you actually are making a difference in kids lives at least for now give it some time but like (laughs) you actually are making a difference but like you like you can't like he's so far gone by that point yeah there's i mean there's there's a scene later on in the movie with where he goes to Anthony Mackie's character, who he knows because he buys from this same group of guys, right? So he knows who he is. He goes to him and basically asks him straight up, just, can you just, like, he literally says, do me a solid and stay away from her. And so they have this confrontation where, you know, Anthony Mackie's like, like really, you're telling me, I, you're telling me I need to stay away from her? You think she's better off, you know, hanging around you? And he's just, he, he, He's like, I, I don't know. I don't know, but you're supposed to do something, right? Like, this is kind of like, at this point, this is like the driving force of his whole life. He just has this sense that, like, everything is shitty and we're, we're, you're supposed to do something about it. But he just doesn't, he doesn't have any idea what to do about any of it. And it's, and it's kind of pushed him into this really dark place. That line delivery of his is incredible. It's, I don't know. I don't know. Like, because, like, yes, of course he knows. He knows that it's, he understands to some level that it is ridiculous, but you're not supposed to let the 13-year-old, right? Like, you're supposed to, like, and, like, and I think that, and, and that is part of the thing. We get these, like, interstitials. Again, I don't, I'm not convinced they fully work i think that it could this is a first movie for these co-directors who someday would go on to do captain marvel which is very weird uh yeah it's uh ryan fleck and anna Bowden. who in this movie it's ryan fleck is credited as director and anna Bowden is credited as co-director which i don't i don't totally understand what that i i feel like i I have this half-remembered thing that I heard once that the Directors Guild, until relatively recently, had a rule against two people being credited as a director unless they were, like, an established pair, like the Coen brothers or something. I don't actually know for certain if that's true, though. But at any rate, they have directed several movies together since where they're both credited as directors, so I'm not sure why this one they have the director-co-director thing, but... And I did see in one of the reviews that made me curious that apparently they did a director's commentary on this that was like very insightful and interesting. Um, apparently, the movie is, as a whole cost seven hundred thousand dollars. It's it's a very low budget, very like very small picture. Um, but like, 
like you know again for for a first picture it's very strong like it, it definitely is i i do think that there are like i wasn't totally clear and maybe i just missed it i don't know but i wasn't totally clear and i was reading some other reviews to see what people <laughs> what other people thought like where we were supposed to go with some of this and maybe that was part of the point i don't know because i think that what he is like what he's doing a good job with is showing the kids this sense of a wider world and the systems at play within that wider world. And those are all great things to show anyone. Those are all great things to be able to understand. And if you can understand them young, awesome. What he does not have the capacity to do is give any idea of what you're supposed to do about it. And like, and if you tell people, any people, any age, <laughs> here is this horrible problem or this set of horrible problems, but don't give them anything that they can do about them. What you end up with is people who are at best going to be like, well, I can't do anything about that. So that's not my problem. Um, and at worst going to end up very like jaded and hopeless about the situation. And maybe that was part of the point. What we get is these interstitials of the kids like, like, talking about major change moments in history. Yeah, of. I think it's supposed to be like classroom presentations or something. So we have like um, Pinochet and uh, um, Cesar Chavez and uh, Harvey, Harvey Milk. Milk. Yeah. Uh, which is, so like, you know, you get you get a sense of the kind of stuff that he's teaching them. And, uh, <laughs> you know, we have, we have a scene with the school principal telling him that he really needs to get back on the curriculum by next week because they have to be taught about the civil rights movement. <laughs> Um, so like they, they clearly are like they're learning stuff. They're learning important stuff that maybe they wouldn't get if he was following the curriculum. Um, but yeah, and I don't think he's, he's not in a place to be able to, to give them any guidance on what to do about it. Well, and they are like, it is sticky, at least with Shay. We see Shay at some point when her mom comes home and they're having a little thing come in and be like, Hey, did you know about this dude? I think it was Chavez that like, he's fasted for 35 days. He didn't eat for 35 days. Like she's, she's hearing this. Like the, the kids are picking up, you know, at least some part of what he's saying. Uh, he also has a whole really interesting scene where he's trying to get them to like, he plays a scene about like, uh, I can't remember the dude who did it, but the, the speech about like, you have to throw yourself on the machine. Oh, that, that was, that was Cesar Chavez. Yeah. Um, and like you know you have to stop the machine etc like what is the machine and talking to the kids and it's very cute the first kid's like robots and he's like could be robots could be robots but let's assume and like that's a good t like he doesn't like make fun of him he doesn't like what like it's funny to us because we know but like he's just like let's let's just assume it's a metaphor <laughs> <laughs> there and you know and then they start bringing up but again these things that are very much a part of these kids lives prisons etc you know and he's just like schools like schools are part of it and someone said white and he said yeah white is definitely part of it but he doesn't like go into a lot of that but like he is bringing it up and someone's like well aren't you the machine then and he's like he's like what did you just say to me and she's like because you're white and you're a school teacher he's like oh yeah no that's true uh <laughs> i feel like honestly the the movie did what i think was was probably a smart thing and kind of it didn't really get into to racial stuff it kind of kept it all on not all but largely subtextual i think which i think was probably smart um it ends up it is it, it is definitely not what i was afraid that it would be which was like kind of like a weird twisted white savior story and it's kind of the opposite of that um but there, there's problems with that too i think <laughs> but yeah no i mean i think it's i think it's very complicated and i'm not sure they totally stuck the landing in every way i hated the end i mean that that's that's the i i think the last like two minutes of the movie felt like someone told them hey you have to give this you have this movie has to end on an up note so 
and it it, it felt I, like I didn't understand what, where it was supposed to be leading to really like it it felt like it was supposed to be a okay here's they're 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 both back on the right track but like i i can't see any way that that track goes more than a couple steps <laughs> so well that's not how i interpreted it at all i i think i think that what they were trying to leave with my read would be like the smallest possibility of hope like it is i think it is okay Shay essentially at the end, towards the end, Frankie, in I assume an attempt to protect Shay because he keeps trying to tell her like this dude is a fucking basehead and like there's no, you know, like he takes her out on deliveries one night, um, and he specifically has her deliver to Gosling, um, and there is a very again it's like so sad but it's also kind of funny like where she's at the door and the door opens and then it just immediately closes and you know it's cause like and um but then the woman opens the door and she comes in and it's like this you know they're all smoking crack and like music blaring and stuff and she's just kind of looking around at everything and he's like in the bathroom and he opens the bathroom door and he just looks at her and is like and just like holds up the money and it's like he he knows on some level like like I think, like this is how far he sunk. That like right, this is, it's kind of like a classic hitting bottom story. I think, but we don't get a scene of him like fucking going to AA or something. Like it's nothing like that. Like he he does is he doesn't show up for school the next day, which is rare. Like that. Like usually he was coming in no matter how fucking wasted he had been the night before, and she's worried about him, um, and she takes off after school and she's angry at Frankie for doing this even though i completely understand frankie's reasoning i don't know that it was like the best route to take but i get it um and like i understand how and i do appreciate that about this movie is that frankie is not like yes he's a drug dealer and he's causing a lot of harm but he is not like the villain like that's not no you you mentioned moonlight earlier and i remember when i first saw moonlight that it that it a lot some of that stuff reminded me specifically of this movie uh i I don't think it's quite as well played in this movie but it's a similar thing no i agree and i do think that anthony mackie really kills it in this which i i am not always like as impressed by anthony Mackie. i think he's fine he doesn't always stand out to me um but like and so then when he's not there she goes riding her bike which she has gotten back with frankie's help um because sort of dabbling in a little bit of gangster stuff and she and frankie sees her and is like hey like we'll throw your bike in the back i'll take you home and she's like no man i'm not and she leaves and she goes to mr dunn's house and she comes in and he's you know on the couch wrapped in a sheet clearly whatever and she comes in and sits on one end of the couch and he's sitting on the other and the the movie ends with with the two of them sitting on the couch well you're close but not say <laughs> this is, I, I think it matters here like he wasn't at his apartment he was at a hotel he was at like a cheap hotel that was where this party was happening and she that got back sense. to the hotel room and he's in there and she kind of goes in and like it's like okay let's go home now and like gets him home and cleans him up and we get a scene of him shaving which is like classic movie shorthand for like yeah he's he's on the right path now and then we see that he's cleaned up his whole apartment and he goes and you know brings out some glasses of water and they sit down on the couch together and he tries to tell her a joke that he fucks up and that's the note that it ends on Again, though, I did not come away from that feeling like we are supposed to think that he's going to he's going to fix his life. I didn't feel like that. I like I think 
I don't think we come away with any meaningful answers. Like, is it better that Frankie, that, like, Shay is not wanting to talk to Frankie right now? Maybe, because she was starting to, like, deliver drugs, and that's not great. But, like, also, he was, like, providing money, which they might need, um, which Mr. Dunn is certainly not doing. <laughs> um, is it, like, better for her to be trying to take care, trying to take care of Mr. Dunn? Uh, no. But, like, I don't think it's supposed to be. That's clearly a problem. (laughs) Absolutely. And I think it's supposed to be. I don't think... Like, I think... I found the end of this to be, like, pretty heartbreaking. And I I thought intentionally so. I didn't didn't think we were... Like, I believe that in this moment, he's like, yes, I have hit bottom and I'm going to do better. But, like, unless he does something more meaningful than clean up his apartment in this moment, like, unless he actually starts finding, you know, going back to rehab, going to whatever, like, nothing will change. He will be, like, we have seen what low tolerance he has for anything. I mean, I, I, I agree with you. That's what I'm saying is that I don't, I don't actually see, like, a positive path forward from the point that he's at. But I felt like the movie was trying to, trying to give that impression. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I, maybe I misread it. But that was how it felt to me. It felt very much like a... It felt like an ending that would fit very well into a lot of the sort of like indie comedy dramas from this era, and none of the rest of the movie really felt like that. I can see that. I I guess from my perspective, I I guess I felt to some extent like both of them would feel like that in this moment. Like, yes, we're making steps, but that didn't necessarily mean that the movie felt like it was going, but maybe I'm giving it too much credit. I don't know. Anyway, overall... It's a really remarkable character study. Um, I do feel like it's important to note that there is, there never does appear to be any, like, there's a weird moment at the dance where he, like, dances with her. um, And again, where she, like, got pretty for him. But there's never really any indication that he's, like, play. But there is a moment when he is very, very high and goes to this other teacher that he's been dating and tries to sexually assault her before she punches him in the face. Um, And, like, I mean, I'm sure he would not... I don't know what my dog is chewing on. I'm sure that he would not, um, you know, have categorized it that way. But that's very clearly what happened. He was very high. And um, so, you know, I mean, he's not a good guy. But it is an interesting... I'm going to murder my dog. It is an interesting... It's a really fascinating character study that would not have worked as well, I think, without the two leads doing as good as they did. We also have one really interesting scene where he goes home for dinner because uh, his brother is bringing a girlfriend home or something, and he goes back to have dinner at his parents. And uh, I feel like it's it's just one scene, but I feel like it does a pretty good job of, like, I can see how he came out of this. <laughs> like, the, the, like, both of his... Oh, gross. He just pulled something gross out of your dog's mouth. Um both of his parents are clearly addicts and have no idea. Like they're, they're, uh, they're both clearly alcoholics. I mean, just like drinking wine by the bottle. Um, and we see a, a scene of his dad with a like a, a like a tumbler of some sort of of amber alcohol that is like filled to the brim. <laughs> um, and then his, you know, his dad mildly drunk pops down next to him and starts saying racist shit about the school that he works at, like. And earlier we'd had the mom asking the the brother and his girlfriend about that they had gone to some kind of march. It doesn't really say exactly what it is, but it's some sort of political rally, presumably. And they were, you know, talking about how great it was. And 
and you kind of it, it it feels like he was it's like a this household of like sort of wealthy white quote unquote progressive people consider themselves progressive people but then like you put a few drinks in them and they start talking about the zoo that the school is <laughs> it's, it's a lot about ebonics yeah asking them if the, he's teaching the kids ebonics in school like it i felt like it all made a lot of sense that that would like he grew up aware of the the issues in the world and like but with this sort of underlying hypocrisy to all of it i thought to me it made it really felt like it added up in terms of what the person that he ended up being well and we see a lot of we see some like some ideas of what things would look like in his past without a lot of detail so this woman who shows up her name is rachel his ex-girlfriend who it sounds like they used to use together um when she shows up, she says something like, I got fat. And he's like, no, you got, you looked healthy. Um, we see a picture of her before. She definitely has put on a lot of weight since she was a rail thin, uh, <laughs> presumably crack addict, but um, is, you know, and, you know, she's worried about him. Type of thing. It sounds like she went to rehab or maybe they both went to rehab and she stuck with it and he didn't. Um, but he was able to like pull his life together enough. Like when he's out this whole speech about like, I was able to pull, like, it's true. He was able to pull his life together enough for a while. Will that last? Almost certainly not. But like in the moment he's like, okay, like rehab didn't work for me. I just got to learn to manage it, which is for anyone who's ever met an addict, a very common <laughs> thing. Um, and so, and so, you know, we get this sort of sense that at some point he was maybe a lot worse off than he is at the start of this and that he was sort of able to like start the start over, not start over, but like restart the clock a little bit. Um, I'm not going to let you over there because you're eating stuff off the floor. Anyway. Um, <clears throat> and that was so directed at the dog, just to be clear, just in case anyone's wondering. <laughs> Joel is eating stuff off the floor and it's upsetting. Anyway. And so like, again, I think we get sort of this outline in a way that I think is like, I don't, I don't mind the outlining having been done this way. Like, I think we get as much as we probably need to get about like who he is and where he came from and all of that kind of stuff. Um, but yeah, I, I agree. I think it, it does a lot with a little in that regard. And, you know, Gosling does a lot with a little, which is not uncommon for him. But yeah, I mean, I think it's a good movie. Obviously it's not going to be everyone's cup of tea. I don't know if it's a great movie, but I think it's a good movie. And I, it's a hell of a lot better than I was afraid it would be. Absolutely. <laughs> So yeah, so I mean, you know, this may or may not be your speed. Um, certainly, wouldn't is not going to be everyone's speed. It definitely feels like a movie, an independent movie that was made in two thousand six. Like the cameras and the like, just the whole way it's shot feel like that. But anyway, it's on Peacock right now, or you can rent it in various places. So. I watched it on Canopy. They have it on there. Yeah. Anything else you wanted to touch about this? No, I don't think so. I think. Uh... I I I was I was relieved that it was as, as good as it was. I feel like feel pretty good about it. It was pretty solid. It's worth watching. Absolutely. Okay. So, at this time, we are down to 33 movies. 33 movies. Um some of which are still very good and I'm looking forward to, and some of which that is less the case with. So let's see where we land. Yeah, I've been trying to remember what we have left. I'm sure we've got some more stuff that I've forgotten about, but uh, let's see. What is number 25? Number 25 is The Secret of Kells. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah, that'll be fun. We love The Secret. We love the cartoon saloon. 
um so yeah that's a that was that movie sort of like blew my entire mind open when i first watched it it was like an animation thing i'd never seen before that was it's still one of the most visually beautiful movies i've ever seen i think yeah absolutely so and i have the cartoon saloon collection me too <laughs> yay um okay cool i'm i'm down for, i'm down for that all right so do you wish to go first or do you wish me to go first i think i can't remember who went first last time i think you went first last time so i'll i'll take it this time i have a good handful of stuff here um uh let's see um i watched a weird little like low budget sci-fi movie called vesper from last year um which uh I watched it because I was hanging out with Jared and it was one that he wanted to watch. I hadn't even heard of it. Uh, but uh, it's this, uh, it's a sort of, I guess, post-apocalyptic thing, <clears throat> but it has, it has some really interesting, cool world building stuff where like the, I mean, it's, it's one of those like, um, you know, most of the world is destroyed and there's, but there's like these, uh, I think they call them citadels where the, the, the rich people live and then everyone else just kind of has to make do in what's left of the world and um it has some some kind of cool stuff with uh like a lot of the technology that exists is like sort of biological it's almost like biohacking stuff um that is kind of cool and in in like a a gooey icky kind of way sort of cronenbergian a little bit you know that kind of thing um and it's about this this girl who uh part of the thing is that the um the uh the rich people have have genetically manufactured seeds that only uh they they don't they produce fruit but they don't produce their fruit don't produce more seeds so they the people have to keep coming back and buying more every year that's part of it so it's this girl is trying to like uncover the secret of making these seeds fertile again that she's she's constantly doing these experiments to try to try to figure out how to make that work and she has her her mother is gone and her father is like really really sick and confined to bed basically and um and she she finds uh like a crashed uh craft that was from one of the citadels that has a, a person in it that was from there that she rescues and is trying to trying to find a way to get her and her father into one of the citadels basically um it has um eddie marson as like this uh sort of local like he's like the 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 richest of the poors basically he has like this compound and he he has he makes his money by uh by selling um children's blood to the rich people in the citadel because they are into this thing that is a real thing now of transfusing <laughs> children's blood to keep yourself young so he has this really sort of gross setup where he uh he basically has like sort of industrial almost child he just has children he has a ton of children that he then farms their blood to sell that's how he keeps himself alive and uh he's a very you know obviously very eddie marson is an interesting actor who like i was thinking about this watching this he's kind of a weird looking dude like he has a very specific look to him but he feels like he fits in everywhere like you can put him in any movie in any time period playing a good guy or a bad guy and he just always seems like a natural fit for everything it's kind of odd but he's a really good actor and he's very creepy in this um overall it was it was an okay movie it was uh it was definitely you definitely saw the 
the low budget on display in a lot of places. I didn't think that the main the main actress, her name is Raffaella Chapman. I didn't think she was very good, and that definitely because I mean it, she's very much the central character, and that that took away a fair amount from the movie. I thought um, it's definitely some cool ideas in there, but it it all feels a little bit uh, maybe a little bit too small scale for me. I, I it was an interesting movie if you're into that. I. I I'm always kind of curious about low budget sci-fi stuff, like how they're going to do, you know, seeing how, how these things are executed. And there's, there is some cool stuff. There's some cool visual stuff, but I didn't, I didn't love the movie overall. Um, have you seen talk to me yet? You know, I'm not really watching horror movies in theaters at the moment. So no, I will probably wait. Okay. So I did go to see talk to me, which, uh, is a, a, an Australian, movie that a24 is distributing over here um and it's uh it's pretty good uh the it's it's like about this these teenagers that have they have got their hands on this uh this sort of uh supernatural object that is like a um a ceramic hand that there's sort of some of them have some of them claim there's a real hand in there no one really knows they don't really know where it came from um, Morgan is really upset that they did not call the movie "Talk to the Hand." Probably <laughs> a little, little too goofy, but uh, at, at any rate, they, there's a thing where when you when you when you hold the hand in your own hand, you can communicate with the dead, and they can possess you, and and it's and the, and it's this group of teenagers who start doing it for content creation. Basically, they start, which is an interesting idea that seems plausible enough because it's a very like visually dramatic when you get possessed by the thing and you start speaking with its voice and all that and it's a excuse me uh and of course of course something goes wrong and you know creepy shit starts happening when they don't have the handout and it all you know it um it's all like technically speaking it's all it's very well done and the 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 lead actress in it who i didn't know because she's an australian actress that i'd never heard of her name is sophie wilde she's really fucking good like i would really like to see her in more stuff um the the actual the physical hand is like a really great like horror movie prop it's very like memorable and creepy looking um I wish that the movie had done a better job of establishing and sticking to its own rules for like how this thing actually works and like what these spirits actually are and what they can do. Uh, Cause as the movie went on, it felt, it felt less and less like there were actual rules that the writers had set down and, and figured out. And I don't know if it could have just used another pass on the screenplay or, or what the deal was exactly. But uh, so that, that, that's definitely an issue. It ends on a killer note, though. It has a really solid ending. Um, and supposedly they're doing a sequel to it. They announced a sequel already because it, it, uh, it, it hit pretty big. Um, I guess the guys who made it, it's a pair of brothers who I guess are well-known in YouTube circles. They've had, like, a YouTube channel for, like, a decade where they make, like, short horror stuff. I had never heard of them. Their names are Michael and Danny Philippou. Um, but apparently, for certain people, they have been... Uh, big names for a long time but I had never heard of them this is their first feature um, <clears throat> so yeah I, I definitely worth checking out I think um, then uh, I finally I finally dipped back into that folk horror box set that you bought me like <laughs> what's it been two and a half years ago now or something 
the important thing is that you've had it available. <laughs> yeah, this is this is only the second time I've actually watched something from it. Um, but I I watched a another another Australian. I didn't I didn't actually make that connection. I watched two Australian horror movies in a row, which is kind of weird. Uh, this one is from 1981. It was called Allison's Birthday, and uh, it's you know it's kind of it is again like pretty like low budget folk horror thing where we we the opening scene is this group of teenage girls having a seance and one of them gets a message through the seance that she she shouldn't go home for her 19th birthday that something bad's going to happen you know they're trying to get you whatever and then it cuts to a few years in the future and right before her 19th birthday where of course she goes home and and bad creepy things happen but it's it's pretty good it's a fun movie uh like the um there's there's some kind of goofy like uh you know they this is pre-digital effects so there's some stuff where they use like it's like the uh incorporated animation is for you know magical things that are happening whatever there's a little bit of that um but it's it's pretty good it's a fun movie i i would i would recommend seeking that one out if you're into that kind of thing uh the next thing i watched i believe you also watched i watched the idiots correct uh lars von trier's the idiots which um I can't remember how much we've talked about Lars von Trier on here before because we haven't watched any of his stuff for the show. I, yeah, I don't think any of this, any of Lars von Trier's work, was doable with our father in the room. Um, but no, I think we both have had a lot of feelings about von Trier over the years, and this movie was virtually unattainable for like twenty years. Like you just, and it's still only on movie. I guess movie bought the rights to it, and some of his older. Yeah, stuff. I think they 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 are they are re, they remastered it and they're re-releasing it because they did they did that the third season of the, of his Kingdom show, and so they've got the previous seasons of that too. So they clearly have a thing going with him right now. Yeah, and um, you couldn't even like it's it's not just like you couldn't rent it. You couldn't like it just wasn't available anywhere. Um, so when I saw that it came up on movie, I was like, oh well, this is like there. I haven't seen everything Lars von Trier has done, especially when we go into like his very early stuff. Um, but I have seen the the vast majority of what Lars von Trier has done. Yes, I've seen most of his features. Yeah, I mean he has you know a handful of like short films and stuff that I haven't seen, but I've I've seen most of his features. I still haven't seen Dancer in the Dark, uh, which is one of his better known ones i think but yeah the point is he's a complicated figure and both in both just in general as a figure and i would say probably in both of our lives as well i mean he is he is definitely a provocateur i think is a fair description he's his a big part of his thing is to his movies basically all have stuff that is sort of intentionally offensive and uh uh tough to watch um, Something I usually hate in most directors. It's yeah, no, it is. It, it definitely takes a very specific type of person to make it watchable, uh, and I think he doesn't always. <laughs> I don't think he always makes it watchable. Um, the the I don't think we've talked about this on here before. The first thing I ever saw of his was um, uh, Antichrist. That was the first thing you saw. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, because I was. I mean, I was. I was. What year did that? That came out in '09, so I would have only been 19. So I, you didn't come with us to see it. Yeah, no, we saw. I went with you. We saw it together in the theater. And it's if if I had been there by myself, I would have walked out, which I've never done in my life. That was I. I had the thought at the time. I remember in the theater thinking, I would like to just leave this movie, but I'm here with other people. Well, and I think like I think like ten people did leave the movie. It's the most yeah. walkouts I've ever seen. But. So it was, I don't know, we don't need to get into exactly what Antichrist is or what it's about. People can look it up if they don't know. Uh, it's a very disturbing movie. I had never seen anything like it, and I found it a very unpleasant watch that I didn't want to be there for. But it stuck in my head 
to a degree that I ended up seeking out other stuff by him, even though I'd hated it so much. Uh, and over the next few years, he had Melancholia came out, which is that might be my favorite of his still. I love that movie. It's but, a piece of genius, honestly. Uh, but I also watched a bunch of his older stuff. Um, and is is not all great, but there's a lot of it that I really liked. A lot of it really landed for me when I was like in my early 20s. Uh, but I haven't really watched any of it since. Um, I don't think I've. I don't think I've. Other than I think I talked about on here, May and I watched the first season of Kingdom. Uh, but that's kind of a different. Like Kingdom definitely has elements of his stuff, but it's much more. It's his stuff is always funny. Uh, but I think Kingdom leans a lot more into the funny and also like sort of classic ghost story stuff than is than his usual stuff. It's less. It's less uh, sort of grossly offensive than what he usually does. I just feel the need to clarify that, like, yes, I find Lars von Trier's stuff always funny. You have to have a really specific sense of humor. Like, I think a lot of people would not walk into a Lars von Trier movie and be like, that was really funny. Well, and also, it might not even be fair to say that his stuff is always funny, like Breaking the Waves. I don't remember any funny moments in Breaking the Waves. That's sort of a notoriously depressing movie, uh, or Antichrist, for that matter. I don't... I laughed several times at it. Did you? Uh, maybe, maybe I did too. I don't remember. It's been a long time. But well, I don't know because this is the thing. I think that my first Lars von Trier movie was Dogville, um, and I was like nineteen. Um, and Dogville is a is a wild two and a half hour journey, which takes place on a stage. It's just a really big stage with like yeah, it's a bare bones set with you know chalk lines on the floor to re- indicate walls and stuff. Yeah. And it's Nicole Kidman and Paul Bettany. And like, I don't know that it's good. The sequel is definitely bad. But like, I don't know if it's good. But I was really, I had a similar experience where I wasn't sure if I liked it. Well, I I didn't necessarily want to walk out of it, although there's an incredible amount of sexual assault. Um, But like, it was, I was in my home. So walking out wouldn't have made a lot of sense. But I was so, like, I couldn't make, I had never seen anything like it before. I think I made like two other people watch it with me because I was just trying to like get a handle. I think we watched it together, but you know, it was after. And like, and so, and I think that Von Trier, Von Trier is a provocateur, something that I almost never, a title I almost never apply to anyone I like. Uh, Paul Schrader is maybe the only other one that I can think of. Potentially. Um, and uh, he is also a intense alcoholic um theoretically he went to rehab and stuff a few years ago i haven't heard what came of that so i don't know i haven't either but he i mean he made big headlines a few years ago for making a very inappropriate joke about hitler at i think it was at con right and they yes. actually banned him from the festival in the future and it really kind of like he he was he was on probably like a bit of a a career high point i guess because it was post melancholia which you know got a fair amount of attention at least for for the type of movie that he does and it really kind of derailed him for a while he seems to be uh i mean he did the third season of kingdom and i think he has another movie coming out he seems to be a little bit back on track i guess whatever that means for him it's hard to say and i think that what what i find with lars von trier and I think that I liked The Idiots more than you did. I think I gave it a star higher. Um, but I don't know. But Morgan also, like, Morgan's never, this was Morgan's first large launcher. Um, so <laughs> That's rough. That is not an easy landing point. But Morgan also kind of liked it. And I think that, I don't know. I think there is, there is a part, there is a set of directors 
that over the years and sometimes a new one gets added to this and it's really exciting um that like where they click for me for some reason at some point in my life and i feel like i know them like not literally know them obviously i don't actually know lars von Trier, but i feel like when i watch their movies that i like am on their wavelength and i get it and that happened to me with von trier in my early 20s von trier is a great filmmaker for your early 20s if you're depressed and cynical he's fantastic for that um unfortunately he's now in his 60s and as far as i can tell he's not gotten any less depressed or cynical <laughs> but like and that's the thing, is that I am now almost 40, and I don't know if his, like, perspective of the world resonates for me the way it did 20 years ago, but, one, he remains, like, honestly, I think it may be the worst thing that has ever happened to him, that he is so fucking good at what he does, like, because, like, he can, he is he is such a personal disaster as far as i can tell he's miserable as much of the time as far as i can tell but he's so technically proficient at the movies that he makes like if he was less so he would not have been able to like maintain this career and who knows maybe he would have been forced into rehab earlier who can say but i mean he's also like he's he's very clever like we talked about he can be very funny in a super dark way he is clearly very good at working with actors and he gets great people to work in his in his projects at least actors who aren't bjork yeah well i mean i i think i I don't think anyone disputes that the the perform bjork's performance in that movie is masterful but yeah she said that she would never would never do it again um she didn't act for like 20 years yeah I mean that yeah, right. She left acting entirely until uh, until the was it, the, she was in the Northman, right? Correct. <laughs> At any rate, uh, like I said, I still I haven't seen that movie, but um, so at, at any rate, all of that said, the idiots is a, kind of an early movie of his. I think it was it was he was part of the like the Dogma ninety five thing, which people who are film nerds might know about, which is like a a I think a sort of short lived. Uh, filmmaking movement in in sweden uh or denmark uh he's denmark English, i think right? yeah um that where basically the it's like sort of bare bones filmmaking where you you don't use any uh you use all natural light and you you do like single takes of things and you don't have your actors in makeup and it's all like you know there's a lot of uh, improvisation and like no music that is right, no, a- yeah no uh, no score um and, and then at the end, you do a list of confessions of where you broke the rules, which, like, you know, is usually seems to be, like, between, like, three and five times that they broke the rules or whatever. Yeah. So there, there were a handful of these movies, and he was he was one of the guys making them, and, that, and The Idiots was one of those. Um, and the, the, the basic premise is it's about a group of people who have decided that they're going to start um, uh, pretending to have physical and mental handicaps in public um as a way of uh i they they have this whole thing about discovering their inner idiot i believe is the the term they use so it's supposed to be a a a self-knowledge thing and sort of rebellion against society thing i guess it was not super clear to me which is part of my problem with it i didn't i didn't think it was super coherent but maybe that was part of the point i think Uh, that was part of the point (laughs) Maybe uh, I don't know. There, there was definitely some stuff about it that really worked. Um, he, he, one of the things that Von Trier is sort of infamous for is he will. He is one of the few directors who has movies that anyone's ever heard of who will do things like having unsimulated sex in his movies. And there's a little bit of that in this movie. That's kind of what, what it's. I think what it's probably sort of best known for, which is 
stupid, but I think that's that's true because it is an unusual thing. Um, Although one of his confessions was that he did switch out one of the actresses for the unsimulated sex. Right. He, yeah. He did, he'll do. He did that with. He did the Nymphomaniac movies. Right. That was. That's the sort of infamous, uh, uh, extremely explicit uh, pair of movies. Um, but he did the same thing in that. I believe he did. He did body doubles. Um, but at any rate, uh, so it is a clearly like from the get go. It's a very like anyone who's sort of a, a sort of progressive minded person is going to hear that premise and be like gross and you should me? and like that's a totally reasonable reaction um and uh, so I, I you know i think that was i don't know how i would have felt about this movie if i had watched it at at 20 like i did a lot of his other stuff um but it didn't it didn't work as well for me as a lot of that stuff did then uh one of these days i do need to go back and rewatch some of some of his stuff that i watched when i was younger and see how it lands for me now but i it, it's an interesting movie it's worth watching but it didn't I I didn't love it. I don't know that I'll ever seek it out again. I didn't love it. I do think like Morgan had some really interesting thoughts about like the way that it is a critique of like so- liberal social movements, which I think when lo- like I don't I don't think that we are supposed to like these people or think that they are like doing anything. Some of important. them certainly not. Some of them are monsters. <laughs> yes, but like um, and so and I think that if one thinks of it as a critique of like the way that leftist social movements can sometimes like degrade into like really weird, awful shit in and of themselves. But there is actually some interesting shit there, whether or not you want to give Lars von Trier that much leeway is entirely up to you. And it's completely fine. If you don't, for me, what I found really fascinating is that again, just from like the first few frames, I was like, Oh, I know that. Like, I felt like, like he's, how is he so recognizable in like this, like stripped down bare bones people I've never seen like there's nothing for me to go but like immediately like within the first few minutes I'm like I am pretty sure I would have known this was Lars von Trier even if I didn't walk into it knowing that or at the very least would have been like this seems very like Lars von Trier and it's that like he's so distinctive and and for all the good and bad that entails which is like both of those things right and there is a part of me that's still <sighs> I saw I saw a review on Letterboxd where someone referred to him as um, as a narcissist. What was it? A narcissistic masochist or something like that. Where essentially, like what you and I think that this person had some smart things to say about Von Trier generally, which is like Von Trier is a provocateur. Yes, in a lot of ways, it often feels like an acting out of his own self hatred um, of like I'm gonna do the worst shit which is why i say that i think the worst thing that ever happened to him was that he was so good at it because like if he hadn't been so good at it people would have hated it at least some of it i mean even stuff like breaking the waves which is largely considered to be you know a a masterpiece of sorts i mean like the fundamental like end conclusion of that movie is that this woman has to give herself over to like not sexual slavery exactly but like sexual like like completely give her entire identity and being over to this man to like get past the it, it's a weird premise it's a weird movie but like but like and dogville a movie a movie which ebert has a hilarious review about of uh, which he hated of like you know this is is this what Lars hunter thinks america is like like a movie in which nicole kimmick gets sexually assaulted like five times on the screen in the course of the movie and it consistently feels like he is shoving this in your face and like daring you to hate him and like and the idiots feels a lot like that because this is so many things that are just like but like 
in spite of that like he's he's really good and like you watch these movies i watched this movie and i was just like this should be fucking unwatchable like this should be like i should be like dying every second of this movie's 80 minute runtime and like i'm not i'm not like and it's it's obnoxious because they're like it's always like I don't recommend Lars von Trier to people on the regular. No, no, it would I I would have to I would have to know someone real well and be like real sure about what they liked before I would ever recommend a von Trier movie, and I would not start with the idiots. No, I think I would. I think Melancholy is the one I would most like because Melancholy is genuinely. I have never seen anyone or, or Kingdom. Honestly, I think that would be a, a decent if if they're, they're a horror person. But, like, I have never seen a movie that more accurately, and I think we did talk about this when Eric and I rewatched it a couple of years ago. I don't think I've ever seen a movie that more accurately portrays the feelings of anxiety and depression and the way, like, the way that Kirsten Dunst experiences and expresses those felt so similar to how I experience and, ex- and express those sometimes. I mean, not quite. I'm not fucking anyone in a field in a wedding gown, but, like, I mean, not yet. Who can say? But, uh. <laughs> you haven't had a wedding gown available, so. Maybe that was all that was stopping me. But, like, he, like, captures something that I've always... And, of course, it's his own shit, right? Like, it's his own... Like, but, like, that anxiety in that movie, it's its incredible. It's an incredible movie. And if I was going to recommend a Lars von Trier to anyone, like, that would be the one I would go for, I think, generally. Dancer in the Dark is deeply sad, but it is also pretty good. This is the thing, is that he has such a place in my, like, heart, even if he shouldn't. And I don't really know how to remove that at this point. Yeah, same. Yeah, I, I'm in the same boat. Uh, anyway, we spent a long time on that one. Um, yeah, we aren't going to talk about Rancher again, probably, so. That's, yeah, that's true. Uh, so, oh, I got I to gotta dip briefly into TV here before I do this, because you may recall... Like a year ago, <laughs> I talked about that May and I were watching that Amazon series of A League of Their Own. Yes. Uh, which I really liked. I highly recommended it. We watched six of the eight episodes and then didn't watch anymore for a long time. I still need to watch it. Um, it was one of the... This is the thing that happens sometimes when I'm watching TV with May, where if there's an episode that has like a really sad or troubling thing that it ends on particularly then for like a long time afterwards made anytime we sit down to watch something that's never what they want to go back to because they they don't want to at any rate so we ended up with like a year gap where we had two episodes left we finally got around to to finishing it uh and it is it's very good it's it's a really good show it's a lot of fun uh apparently they're well we'll see if this actually happens now because of course everything's up in the air with the writer's strike supposedly though they're going to do a four episode second and final season i don't know what the the deal making was there exactly but uh but the first season is really good it's definitely worth checking out uh so we finished that and then we watched the movie of a league of their own uh which i had only ever seen once and it was years ago um and it's it's very different from the show unsurprisingly the show uh, so you've seen league of their own right many years ago okay so you probably don't remember it that well I feel like people talk about A League of Their Own all the time as, like, a gay movie. Uh, Gay subtextually. Well, but see, that's the thing. It is all very subtextual, uh, and it is very much not in the show. (laughs) Right. It is very, very front and center in the show. And was very much not in real life, so... 
Well, exa- yeah, exactly. Uh, I, I suspect the show is probably a more accurate reflection of, of what it was really like. But um, so I, at any rate, I, was, I think I was expecting a little more in that regard after immediately coming off of the show. And I was a little bit surprised at how much it was not that. Um, but it's a really fun movie. The, the movie is also a lot more like it's more of a sports movie. Obviously, the show is also about baseball, but it's there's a lot less screen time given to actual playing in the show than there is in the movie. Um, but the stuff's all really well done in the movie, and um, uh, Gina Davis is fucking great. Who I've I I used to not like Gina Davis. I feel like I saw her in a couple things when I was younger that I thought was were really bad, and I don't know why. Like for some reason, I had her in my head as like a not very good actress. Um, but she's really good, and she's really good in The Fly. Like she's a really she's a great actress. I don't know. I I had mis I had mischaracterized her for a long time. That's on me. Um, but Madonna is also really good in it, who is not someone that I necessarily think of as being like a really good actress. I know she's acted a lot, but she's really good in it. Um, I thought Tom Hanks was a little off, which surprised me. Uh, this was like before he hit his dramatic career turn. This is a couple years before Philadelphia. And he's very broad. Like he plays it very, very broad comedy, a little too much, I thought. Um, and he's he's kind of like a crass, gross character that I think maybe is a little bit less funny today than than <laughs> than he would have been at the time. But at any rate, it is a very fun movie. I'm really glad I rewatched it. I, I'm pretty sure I will watch it more in my life. Uh, the great Penny Marshall, one of her all too few uh, directorial efforts. Um, I watched. Uh, California Split, Robert Altman's California Split. This is another thing that Mubi had. They've been on a hot streak lately. I've been watching a lot of stuff on there. Um, which uh, I'm, I'm mixed on Robert Altman. Uh, I have a weird thing with Robert Altman where I find that I don't like his popular movies that everyone else loves and thinks are masterpieces, but I tend to like his like more under-the-radar stuff. Um, so like I, I really did not like the long goodbye at all i thought the long goodbye was terrible i I, this is all with the caveat that it's been a long time since i watched these and i know i need to watch them again and i might very well love them now i love Uh, the long goodbye yeah you and everybody else right but i but i don't feel i don't feel like that's true for a lot of altman's movies i think a lot of altman's bigger ones the long goodbye was an exception i think for me really loving it i also really didn't like mccabe and mrs miller same. Uh, which is one that's a big one. I have not seen Nashville. Honestly, Nashville is probably like if I were to put together a list of like the the like quote unquote important movies that I still haven't gotten around to seeing, Nashville would be pretty high on the list. I think. Uh, I really hated Mash. I believe that was true for you as well. I hated every <laughs> fiber of my being. Despised that movie. Actually considered turning it off, which is something that almost yeah. never happens. Oh, horrible, horrible film. At any rate, uh, California Split. Uh, it also has um, Elliot Gould, who of course was in The Long Goodbye, uh, and it has George Siegel, who I has, was in a lot of stuff. I was not as familiar with him. Uh, it's a gambling movie, so the two of them are both like compulsive gamblers. They're both the kinds of guys they'll just bet on anything. Like they they met they meet over a poker game, and then later they're at a bar together, and one of them is just like, "I'll bet you twenty bucks you can't name all seven dwarves." <laughs> just out of nowhere like this is the kind of guys they are they just they're constantly looking for anything to bet any amount of money on like this is the the whole thing that runs their lives um and the two of them are great together they have like a really really special fantastic chemistry on screen that really makes the movie work um 
I tend to kind of like gambling movies. I like like poker movies. I have a, a soft spot for those. Um, and I do really like Elliot Gould as well, even though I didn't like The Long Goodbye. I really like him as an actor. He had he had like a very specifically seventies kind of thing that was just it was just great. Um, and in, so yeah, I, I really like this one. Uh, it, it's a it's kind of a sad movie ultimately, I think, which makes sense for movies about compulsive gamblers. Um, but it's really good. Uh, definitely worth worth checking out. Um, uh, then I <laughs> did you know there's another Exorcist movie coming out? Have you, have you seen that trailer? I've had to watch the trailer three times now. So I, I believe it's the same guys who rebooted Halloween are are doing the Exorcist movies or one of the same guys. Uh, and I'm not sure if they're doing the same thing where they're just making a direct sequel to the first one and ignoring the sequels. Um, That's kind of what it looked like. Well, right, because they're bringing back. Um, God, I, is it Ellen Burstyn? As usual, I can't remember anyone's name. Yeah, Ellen Burstyn's character is back in the trailer. I don't know uh, if any of the other characters are. She was the only one that was in the trailer, but um, but I also have not seen any of the sequels to The Exorcist, and there's four or five of them, I think. Um, can't imagine why I would, honestly. <laughs> well, so, yeah. How do you feel about the original? I guess I don't actually know. Completely meh. I don't understand the, I don't understand that, like, it's one of those things I've watched, I've seen it twice. I watched it once when I was young, um, or, you know, not young, young, obviously we watch no horror movies young, young, but when I was like in my early 20s, and then when Eric and I were doing a horror thing and he wanted to go, I was like, well, you have to watch The Exorcist. Um, I personally think that of movies that came out in the same rough time period and are about Satan or whatever, um, that I strongly prefer The Omen. Um, and I don't find The Exorcist scary at all. Right, you're a big Omen fan. Yeah, I like The Omen too. Uh, at any rate, I I also don't find The Exorcist scary at all. I think this is my third time watching it. I don't find it scary. I do think there are a handful of moments in it that are still kind of genuinely shocking. Uh, in a way that, like, every, this, like I said, this is the third time, and it always kind of, I'm always, like, I remember the moments, but then when they actually happen on screen, I'm always kind of taken aback by, like, how intense they are. I mean, I think that is true, and also I feel like they aren't, that, like, there are things in the movie that are genuinely shocking still, um, and to which my most response is, did we need that, though? <laughs> well, yeah, I guess that's uh, that's a legit viewpoint. At any rate... Uh, so like I, I would not call it a scary movie there's a lot of people who think still talk about it it's like the scariest movie ever made and I, I don't I, d- I don't understand that at all did we not watch it young enough is that the problem I don't maybe, know maybe I'm sure that is part of it a lot of people watched it as kids um, at any rate I really fucking love it though I think it's a great movie even though I don't find it particularly scary I think I think it's really good I really like uh, the performances and the you know the the priest character I think is really interesting and the type of thing that you don't see very often and um, the TV show was one of my favorite things and was tragically that's right canceled. that's right there's the TV show too you were really into that I, yeah I think I watched the first couple episodes of that with you and I remember really liking it but I didn't, uh, I didn't. there are two seasons the second one has John Cho and a house full of kids that he's fostering it's fucking great there's queerness there's all sorts of things strongly recommend the show um, and probably if you watch the show you should watch the movie just to have a sense of things but um, it's uh, I think it's still all up on Hulu the character of Regan shows up in the show right it wasn't Linda Blair, though, right? Remember? Yes. No, I think you're right. I think it's been... The show got cut, like, six years ago, so... Um, I think you're right. I think in the first season. Right. It turned out she was, like, the grandmother of the girl that it was happening to in the show, right? I think that sounds like that. Like spoilers, she, but... 
<laughs> no, I, I don't remember. It was only a couple episodes in, because like I said, I only watched a couple episodes. But at any rate, um, I am I am considering watching through the sequels now. I haven't decided for sure if I'm going to do it. But I'm a little bit like, I kind of want to wait and see if this new one is supposed to be any good. And and if I do that, then I won't have time to watch all the sequels and still see the new ones. So I, I, I haven't quite decided how I'm going to do it yet. But You should watch the show also. It's only like 20 episodes. I definitely, I definitely won't have time for that. Uh, but at any rate, May had never seen it before and was curious about it. And, and I wanted to, to watch it again because I've been thinking about it. So, And I did. I, I think it's a great movie. Um, a couple. I have, I have two more movie things in a row here. Uh, I watched uh, 2014's 71, which I don't know if you remember that movie. Uh, another movie about the Troubles in Ireland. Uh, this one is kind of an action thrillery movie about a British soldier who goes out on a, a, not a patrol, but like he goes out with uh, uh, his his troop to serve some search warrants, I think, and he ends up getting separated from them and they leave and he gets left behind in like, you know, the 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 sort of most IRA-ish neighborhood in, in Belfast. I remember the trailer now. Yeah. Uh, I remember when it came out that it got like really good reviews, but I never saw it. I think I was still living in Portland at the time. Um, it has uh, Jack O'Connell as the main guy who, um, I don't really know what happened to him. He kind of had a promising up and coming thing for a while, but I haven't seen him lately. It has Sean Harris with possibly the worst haircut I've ever seen him have. I guess it was probably a wig now that I'm thinking about it, but um, it's a pretty solid, like it, it works really well as like a, a action thriller for the most part. Um, but it was, I don't know, it was a little bit, it felt a little messy, a little muddled to me. There's a, there's, a, there's, I think maybe a little too much going on. There's, uh, there's different factions within the IRA happening who are fighting each other, and there's the British military, and then there's some like Irish guys who are working with the military, like undercover, I think, and then some of the IRA guys are also working with them. It, it all got a bit too complicated for me, honestly. I was having a little bit of trouble keeping track of who was on what side. Um, but it's 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 not a bad movie. Uh, some good performances, some good action. Um, and then last, uh, I watched Wong Kar Wai's The Grand Master. Um, I've seen a handful of his movies before, but I hadn't seen this one. It's his. He did a movie. It's his Ip Man movie, which is kind of weird because he it was it came out like a year or two after the movie Ip Man came out. Um, so I'm, I'm not really sure why or how that happened, but uh, it's. It's unusual for him because it is like a martial arts action-y movie in in part, at least. It's half that, at least, which is not at all his usual bag. Um, but he does it really well. It looks beautiful, unsurprisingly. I saw it in theaters with Jared. Oh, okay. I didn't remember that. Uh, I believe I did see that you saw it and hated it, if I remember. Yeah, you gave it a two out of five. So I should probably <laughs> rewatch it, but I was not very impressed at the time. Well, so it's, it's, it is definitely not like peak Wong Kar Wai. And I say that even as someone who's, you know, I'm not like a, I think I've seen three of his movies. Um, not a Wong head. <laughs> yeah. I just, you know, just haven't, haven't had the opportunity or whatever. Um, but th- part of the thing with this movie that I found out reading about it afterwards is that there are different cuts of it. The cut that was released in China is about 25 minutes longer than the one that the Weinsteins released in the U.S., uh, and the one in the U.S. includes a bunch of, like, explanatory text on screen for us dumb Americans who don't know what was happening in that part of the world in the 1930s. And also has a lot of, 
voiceover narration and i don't know if that was added for the american version or not but there's a lot of it and it it's a little bit much um but yeah and the american cut is like 20 minutes shorter although i was reading about it on on, because when i first saw that i was like well shit i wish i'd known that beforehand because i wouldn't have bothered to watch the american cut if i'd known that i would have sought out the but apparently there was a whole quote from wong kar wai on the wikipedia page where he talked about it and he is very like he apparently was very like he saw the opportunity to recut the movie as like a really cool experiment and like like you know he's like you know the the original cut of the movie is two hours and ten minutes but you know what why who says that's the perfect you know why not two hours and eleven minutes you know he just thought it's like this interesting experiment that he had the opportunity to do so he you know he's behind the the sh- it's not like the Weinstein's took it away and butchered it you know he it was he he recut the movie and so yeah it's it's maybe less uh, less nefarious than those than uh, you might assume when you hear that oh yeah the Weinsteins released it in the US and they chopped 20 minutes off of it and dumbed it down it's not that but um at the time I watched it I doubt I had seen much if any Wong Kar Wai at this point I had a whole summer where I watched almost everything Wong Kar Wai had made it was a very melancholy and dreamy summer of movies um and so at this point i think i have seen almost every movie he's done but i think when i watched this this would have been one of my first one car Wai movies and i'm not sure that i was i should rewatch it somewhere. yeah it's it, it's a it's a really i mean visually very impressive the the martial arts stuff is really well handled there's like a, a pretty good what this is very much his wheelhouse sort of a melancholic doomed love story um that's loves a doomed uh, love story <laughs> I mean, yeah, that's kind of what people, I think most people's main association with him. Uh, but as Tony, Tony Leung and Zhang Ji, who are both great, um, great physical performance performers and, you know, just great dramatic actors. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I still want I would like to see the original cut as well. Um, but I think the the American cut is also worth worth checking out. Uh, I think that's. um that's all for movies uh i did start i've watched the first few episodes of reservation dogs that are up and i watched the first episode of only murders in the building last night i watched first episode of season three uh but i think that's i think that's all okay so um for movies um I was trying to be like, Morgan, we need to watch two Criterion movies a week so at the end of the year we are not like trying to watch 20 Criterion movies in a row, which is always a really bleak way to end the year. Um, great movies, but sad usually. <laughs> or at least like all, you know, six subtitled films in a row or whatever is a lot sometimes. Um, we only watched one this week, but still it was progress. It's more than we've been doing. Um, so we watched this documentary about Grace Jones, uh, Grace Jones, Bloodlight and Bommy, um, which I knew that Grace Jones was a disco singer. Um, I feel like sometimes in like Looney Tunes they like or something they had like like a, I remember her being like parodied in a cartoon and me not totally knowing who she was. Um, but she's a Jamaican. She started out as a model, actually, and she is. And I, I couldn't even have told you if she was still alive. She is still alive. Um, and this movie took 12 years to make. It was, and it's not like any documentary or like famous person movie that I've ever really seen. It doesn't. There's no talking heads. There's no like real context given for like who she is or like why. It really is just kind of like following her and her family around the world at different points. And like, if it comes away feeling extremely intimate and really like it is a really interesting movie i was it's a thing i probably never would have watched if morgan hadn't picked it for this section of the criterion thing it's like 
I don't know, 100 minutes long. And it's, it's really interesting. It's and some cool performance, you know, shot scenes of her performing and stuff. She's very charismatic, cool costuming, cool makeup, just like very, she's a really interesting person that I do nothing about. And like, this was a, this was an interesting way to get to know her. So, um, so yeah, so we watched that. And then we watched The Idiots, which I think we've talked about enough. Uh, <laughs> and then uh, Eric was like, okay, I probably should see Oppenheimer. We all know it's going to be whatever. And I was like, I would go see it again. And so we did. Yeah, I saw you saw it again. Yeah. Saw it again. And God damn it, it's, it's a masterpiece. I don't know. I, I really, like, I went to go see it the second time and I was like, this is going to work for, like, am I going to be really bored? Like, I just saw it. I often don't do well with rewatching what movies right after I've just seen them. It's, it's so long. Am I, but no, no, I wasn't bored at all. If anything, I liked it more. Um, it's, uh, honestly, I think I, I picked up more of it cause there's so much going on that it was helpful to see it the second time and start picking up more of those layers. Um, I don't think it will ever hit a five for me just because it doesn't make me cry. And usually I feel like a five movie has to make you cry. <laughs> Interesting. What about a five star comedy? That's just really funny all the way through. I don't know. I'll have to look at my list, but I don't know if I have any of those. I think four and a half is okay. usually. Interesting. I think four and a half is usually where, because it, feel, it feels like I, something about like the movie, make, not that this is the only marker, because God knows if I rated every movie that made me cry five stars, that would be insane. But like, it feels like it has to like hit me on a level. I don't know. Anyway, um, but whatever. It was fucking great. Go see it in theaters if you have a chance. It really is worth the trip to do so. Um, and then we were like, let's continue our things, products, cinematic universe. And we watched Blackberry. It was fine. I aggressively felt pretty. Morgan was more interested in than me. There was a lot of tech stuff that they didn't know had happened in this stuff, but that they understood obviously a lot more than me. And they were super interested. They didn't know that Rem had done a lot of the stuff that was in there. So I think it landed a little better for them. I thought it was fine. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I like that a little better than you did, I think, but it's not something I'll watch again. I don't think. And then I gritted my teeth because I've been putting off some blank check stuff for a while and Morgan has been waiting very patiently. And so we watched T2, Train Spotting 2, um, which I liked better than I remember liking the first one, uh, which is not saying a lot. Um, but. <laughs> yeah, I also did not love Train Spotting when I saw it, and I, I can't imagine ever watching the second one. I think the second one is better for me i think i don't have as much of a i think at no point in my life did i like i've never liked movies about addicts as a rule that's just not a thing i mean which is funny in this episode to say but as as a rule i have generally not been a huge fan of that um and that sort of like druggy like haze type of movie and this is not that this is a different thing than that they got all the same cast back. They got all the same. And again, I, I haven't seen the movie in 20 years, so I'm sure I missed a lot because I um, didn't remember a lot. But like it, this one feels like more of a meditation on like what it what it is like to like get older and like have nostalgia for some of these like awful and still have ties to these like parts in your life and like not knowing how to move on. Like these guys are all like 40 now and like are still sort of fighting over some of the same battles and have and like I did find it a more interesting movie <laughs> than I found the first one where I felt like, okay, like obviously Danny Boyle, a director I do not like, but like obviously Danny Boyle had a lot of style and like vision for this film but it's like the time like i've always felt like i more or less knew where it was going how horrible it was going to end up was gonna vary but like i don't know i i did think this one was a little better but i still only rated it one and a half um and then we watched 
Oh, no, we did watch two this week. Um, and then we watched uh, Daughters of the Dust. Um, have you seen Daughters of the Dust? Yeah, I watched it. Uh, it's been a few years now, but I did watch it. I really liked it. I thought it was it was um, unlike anything, really, that I've ever seen. Um, apparently, it was the first ever movie directed by a black woman to be wide released in theaters in 1991. So what a fun time that is. Uh- <laughs> and I, I think it was the only one for a while, uh, at least that I know of. Yeah. Um, I saw, I think it was Josh Larson from Film Spotting had a review where he started out saying something like, the reason that all of the reviews on this are calling this like dreamy or like whatever is because we are not accustomed to this type of storytelling, which I thought was very like correct. <laughs> like there is a lot of dreaminess to it, but, but like there's so much like it's otherworldly. It's all, no, it's just like not a world that we are accustomed to seeing in movies. Yeah. There's nothing supernatural about it. Right. No, I mean, it's been, it's been a while, but I mean, there's kind of like weird time stuff going on right but it's the whole movie is narrated by a child who doesn't exist yet and we do see her in there is some sort of like hyper realism type we see her throughout the movie um and she's narrating the story that would happen before she was born um, right but it's i mean it's a narrative device it's not magic right ish either way it's, it's been it's been several years since i watched either way it's very beautiful um it's about a group of people that I know nothing about the uh, the uh, Gullah culture of the Sea Islands off the coast of South Carolina, um, and just some some really incredible shots and and just really some amazing like performances generally, but some really incredible like black women stuff happening in the movie. It's 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 really good, and if you have the chance to watch it, I would recommend seeking it out. Yeah, and it, I mean, it's I think it's relatively easy to find these days it was kind of lost in obscurity for a long time but it has it has been brought back out and and gotten the recognition it deserved all along i think so yeah agreed um and then we went to go see theater camp because morgan was so excited to go see theater camp and morgan loved it it may, I, it may be their best of the year i don't know they were this movie was laser targeted for them like the it was set it wasn't filmed at, but it was set in a place that Morgan actually did theater at some point when they were a kid. They went to theater camp as a kid. They had like, so I thought it was fine. There were a few scenes that were pretty, there were a few lines that were pretty funny, but it was like me, Morgan, and like six other people, all of whom were also clearly theater kids. And they were having the time of their lives and that did make it more fun to watch. So I will say if you are going to watch this and you don't necessarily have that background, if you know someone who does, it will make it a more enjoyable experience. I saw the trailer for that one. I thought it looked fun. It had some people in it that I really like, uh, but I have not. I have not made it. It probably doesn't need to be seen in theaters. You could. You could wait. <laughs> I mean, it felt very much like a. It felt like a streaming movie to me. I was a little surprised when I found out it was. It was getting a theatrical release. But not that there's anything wrong with that. I, I, everything should. But I was still kind of surprised. Yeah, I. You know, whatever. Morgan loved it, and I had a good time. So, um, and then. I don't know. I was sad the next day and got stoned and we watched the Transformers Dark of the Moon and Age of Extinction, both of them in one day, um, which was a lot. But uh, I and I have nothing really to say about either of these movies, except that, um, well, one, I forgot there was a fifth Transformers movie and by Michael Bay. I was devastated when I realized we were not through the Michael Bay ones. Um, two, the fourth Transformers movie I rated an additional half star and I swear part of it is just because you can see it better like so many of the rest were like 3D and this one is oversaturated to hell like the grass is like the greenest grass you've ever seen and shit but like at least I could like see what was happening which really was not I had not realized how untrue that was with the first three until but like the whole fourth one is just fucking Mark Wahlberg getting mad at a guy for fucking his daughter and it's weird and gross and uh. so Michael Bay did six of those or five of them 
So does that mean there's seven of those movies total? Correct. I didn't think there were that many. Jesus. Um, I will say uh, Stanley Tucci is in this one, and I think also in the fifth one. And I choose to believe that Stanley Tucci just walked on set and Michael Bay handed him a script and he was like, yeah, we'll see what happens. And he just said, Michael Bay was like, all right, Stanley Tucci's in my movie. I'll just let that happen. And he does because he's always a delight and is doing his level best to do anything with this. And he does not succeed, but at least it's nice to watch him on screen. Um, and then there was a gay movie expiring off of Hulu called AWOL. Um, very low budget. Um, didn't fully work to me. I feel like I saw what they were going with, but it felt very not completed. Like, it just, it, you know, whatever. It's fine. Yesterday, we went to theaters to see Kiki's Delivery Service, which was one of Morgan's favorite movies as a child. Um, and I had not seen it in 20 years. So, <laughs> um, so we went to see it. Theater was sold out, literally sold out. I've seen that with a few of the of the, the Miyazaki movies. that they've Because I've been to a handful there, and they've, I've seen that a couple times, yeah. It was very cute. I mean, you know, surprise. Kiki's Delivery Service. Yeah, I watched that one for the first time probably like a year and a half ago, and I really liked it. Um, And then we came home, and Mona is over for the weekend, and we've been watching um, movies off of the uh, Criterion Mask collection that they've had up. Um, So we watched a movie from 2001 called By Hook or By Crook. Um, I don't know if it fully worked for me, but I do feel like it's going to stick with me. I mean, it's kind of a buddy movie. It's it's the queerest movie I've ever seen. Maybe I can't believe this came out in 2001. It was made by two trans mask guys um, who are now like film teachers at like very like Berkeley or some shit. Um, and it's clearly very low budget. It's clear, but like there's no explanation. There is no cis explaining whatsoever. They are simply putting you in here and you are just going to figure it out as you go. Pronouns kind of shift and move around. Is it like there's absolutely no attempt to explain it to anyone who isn't queer? Um, and like I said, I don't know if it all worked. The the, the two directors played the two leads, um, but it's definitely something I'm really glad I saw. And um, I think it might stick with me <laughs> in interesting ways. So we're seeing. And then we watched this hour little documentary called Lifetime Guarantee, Frank's Adventures in Plastic. Plastic, um, which Frank P H R A N C was a um, like lesbian folk singer, um, is still alive, uh, <laughs> very masculine looking, um, who got really into selling Tupperware for a while, and it's about her sell. It's about her being the Tupperware lady for a while. Um, it's a weird one to watch because, generally speaking, of course, I'm very supportive of all of my queer siblings. Um, but also MLMs are bad, actually. <laughs> That's interesting, though, because I, if if I had to think of something that felt to me like the most heterosexual thing I could possibly think of, I, I feel like Tupperware parties would be like that. That'd be high on the list, I think. No, and I think that was part of the point. And so we see a lot. She like writes a lot of songs and like performs them on her guitar and like all of these things at these parties and is very popular at these parties. Well, she has like a bull cut that she keeps all the time. And it's like, and it is, it is interesting. Again, it's like 55 minutes long. I don't feel, I would have liked to see, I would have liked to see more things. Um, but, but you know, again, it's 55 minutes long and it's up on, it, it's up on Criterion. So if it was interesting to one, you could do that. So that was basically all the movies. We have been watching a lot of TV, though. Um, the second season of Heartstoppers came out and was fucking fantastic. Absolutely loved it. Laugh, cry. We rewatched the first season because we watched it all in like 48 hours. And I'm sure we'll have to rewatch the first two when the third one comes out because they have already been signed for season three. Um, truly just a such a 
warm, loving show about with all of the queerness and all of the it's just it's really, really lovely. And I super recommend people watch it. Um, and then also uh, we watched season two of Good Omens, um, which was also fucking fantastic. I I loved it. I'm going to be furious if Amazon does not sign them for season three. This is clearly planned as a three part story at this point um i kind of put off watching the last episode for a little while because the edges of spoilers that i had been seeing implied that the ending was sad and i didn't know if i was up for that um and the ending to be clear the ending of this season is kind of sad but it feels like it feels like the empire strikes back like it's like yes it is sad but like there's clearly like another chapter that we hopefully will get to see amazon has not renewed it yet um so please go watch good omen season two so that they can use whatever bullshit metrics they use to decide that we should get to see neil and neil gaiman has promised that if we don't get the third season that he will write it in graphic novel form and that's nice but i want to see david Tennant (laughs) and uh michael sheen um again please uh, and then we also have watched the first couple episodes of Only Murders in the Building this season. I don't know. It's fine so far. Have not watched Reservation Dogs yet. Um, and also Apple has a Frog and Toad cartoon that is up right now. And we started watching Frog and Toad, um, which is very sweet little kids cartoon that I have been enjoying. So, but yeah. Have, have you not finished season two of The Bear yet? Oh, did I not talk about that last time? Yes. Last I, time you had only watched, I think you'd watch seven episodes or something. That makes sense. Yes, we did finish season two of The Bear. I fucking loved it i think it's incredible uh truly one of like like and i say that like i know jamie lee curtis just won an oscar and her performance was very good and everything everywhere all the but like this may be one of the best performances i've ever seen her give <laughs> um it's yeah i what an incredible show um i you know again it's it seems likely that that one will get picked up for a third season i don't think it has yet but it seems it's it's definitely kind of a darling um and i am looking forward to seeing what happens with that i do think my only critique really is that i think that carmy's love interest was pretty weirdly paper thin and i spent half of the movie i spent half of the show with her being like you're in residency how do you have time to do any of this yeah i i really like that actress uh I really liked her in the few things that I've seen her in, so that went a long way for me. But I, like when I when she showed up, I was like, "Oh, I really like her. Like I'm excited to see her be like." But I didn't. I didn't really. I, in fact, I really did not love where it where it ended up with that. In we don't have to get into that spoilery stuff. But uh, I, I had some I had some some bigger issues with the second season. I think it sounds like than you did, but I did really like it overall. Um, I so <laughs> there was the episode I believe it was called Forks with the the cousin character where he went to to I can't remember what they call it he was interning basically at another fancy restaurant stage right staging yeah but like that I mean that it's a cult right like this is this this degree of like fixation on fine dining and everything that goes along with it feels like it, sh- it should probably be in the DSM somewhere and I'm not I'm honestly not saying that facetiously like it feels unhealthy uh, but I, I feel like the show is entirely on board and like uncritical of that in a way that surprised me a little bit I feel like the show never once questions whether this neighborhood will be better off with a super fancy restaurant than it was with a sandwich shop did you listen to dave chad's commentary on this he they did a they did an episode yeah no i remember yeah no i remember i i was i was glad to hear that someone else felt that way because i wasn't hearing that from anyone else (laughs) no i mean i think i think those are valid critiques i i don't i 
do think that there is a little bit of critique in the show. I agree it's probably not enough. Mostly what I took away from that episode was that a five-minute conversation with Olivia Coleman can change literally anyone's life, and she could save us all if she I only mean, had the time. That was a great little cameo appearance. Yeah, she was great. I don't know how, I don't know how she has time to do all the things that she, she has children. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what. This is like she just she had a she had a layover in Chicago, and she just dropped in and did a scene, and then got on the plane to wherever. But. Just did Emmy Award winning work in like a one take. She she is also, by the way, the mother of one of the main characters in Heart in Heart Stoppers. So um, it, for the Olivia Coleman lovers out there, she's I didn't fantastic. know she was in that one. She's she does so much. She does. Um, but no, I mean, I think those are valid complaints. They didn't particularly bother me going through. I remain. See, I feel like I have spent a lot more time because like Morgan and Colin, like Colin worked in a two Michelin star restaurant for a while and and Morgan and it sounds awful. Like Colin was like living in Brooklyn or something, would get up at three and have to get there and like would come home at like, at, like you know, 11 o'clock at night and fall asleep and have to do it again. Um, but like, so I have I have spent more time around and Nick is also a big fancy food person. Um I still don't get it, but it also like I've spent enough time with people talking about it that it doesn't feel as weird to me as it used to. Um, And it's always like, well, these aren't restaurants I would go to because I wouldn't eat enough to like make it worthwhile. Um, But no, I I, again, I think those are valid critiques for me. They did not take away from the emotional arc of the show, I guess. So, I mean, yeah, I do just I do. I still really love the second season and I'm very excited to see more of it. I just it it was it was a little bit under my skin for a lot of the the second season for that reason, but I still loved it overall. Fair enough, and I remain. I will say the other thing, I I I know there are people out there who are like shippers for Carmi and Sydney, which I think is awful. Stupid. That's terrible. Um, but they're, they're, I love the two of them together. Their dynamic is great, and I don't understand why anyone would want it to be anything else. Absolutely agree. Sydney, incidentally, and the woman who plays right, whatever yeah, else. Theater the, yeah, I know. I think I think they were one of them wrote it, didn't they? Was yeah, the the love interest, her and Ben Platt. But there's a whole thing where her and Ben Platt are like best friends in the movie who have been friends since theater camp. And she had a huge crush on him until he came out to her. That is apparently all accurate. The two of them did, in fact, go to theater camp for years together, which explains the footage of what looked an awful lot like them as children together that is used in the movie, which is kind of a fun little thing. <clears throat> but yeah, they're both in that. Um, but I just I love Carmi and Sydney so much because I just feel like it's so uncommon to get like that intimate type of relationship between a man and a woman in tv or movies that isn't leading to fucking and i'm just so happy there's there's like so much good stuff with the two of them like developing the menu together in this in this season that is so well done and they like develop the shorthand that carries through in in later episodes and it's so good the two of them are so great together incredible everyone on the show is great but yeah anyway so we've been going for a while and i'm hot so uh (laughs) so we will be back in a few weeks hopefully and we will be watching the secret of kels yeah sounds great that'll be a fun one all right bye everyone bye Bye.